You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 18. If you would like to stand, you may. It's a longer passage. Message to the seven churches. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from the sins by his blood, and he made us into a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow participant in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard him be and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus Smyrna Pergamum Thyatira Sardis Philadelphia and Laodicea then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me And after turning, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in the robe, reaching to the feet, and wrapped around the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been heated to a glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's uh, Christmas Eve morning. Yay! Uh, a little bit of a white, 
kind of Christmas slash ice slash wind, true Cheyenne, Wyoming style. So uh, welcome, that's the way to welcome in Christmas. We're going to pray and uh, just ask the Lord to just uh, prepare our hearts for his word as, uh, as we continue to think through what does it mean for Jesus to be the king. Let's just pray. God, you are awesome. You are worthy of our praise. You spoke and, the, and brought into existence the galaxies. You part seas. You raise the dead from the grave. You cure illness. You, you are God. You enable us to get up this morning. It's nothing but sheer grace and mercy that we're able to, to be in this room right now. And we thank you for it. God, I ask that you would just prepare our hearts to receive your word. Prepare our hearts to behold the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who is fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity. God, may we behold him and see his splendor to see his majesty in a way that would leave us undone and change us forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read this some time ago by Michael Reeves. I, those of you, some of you know this, that I've been kind of doing a deep dive in what, who the Trinity is as God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I read this quote when I, when I first started doing this whole study on, on the Trinity. And it says this, Michael Reeves said this, he said, the Trinity, if the Trinity were something that we could shave off God, we would not be relieving him of some irksome weight. We would be shearing him of precisely what is so delightful about him. For God is triune, and it is as triune that he is so good and desirable. When I first read that, I was, it was shocking to me. Uh, and then I came across another quote that I just want to share with you. And this is just to set the stage for what we see in Revelation uh, chapter 1. Uh, Fred Sanders said this, and I was reading this on the plane on my way to Philadelphia uh, about a month ago or whatever. And God is eternity, eternally trinity because triunity belongs to his very nature. Things like creation and redemption are things, God's, are things God does. And he would still be God if he had not done them. But Trinity is who God is. And without being the Trinity, he would not be God. God minus creation would be God. But God minus Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would not be God. I, I just want you to feel the weight of that as we kind of dive into this passage. I've showed you multiple uh, Old Testament passages that, that reveal, reveal Jesus as being not just man, but that he is God. I mean, to think about this, think, just think about this statement for a minute. For all of eternity before that first Christmas, Jesus was always the Son. He, had not, he did not become the Son at the conception, when, uh, the miraculous conception, where the, when the angel announced to Mary that she was going to have this child. He was all for all of eternity past, always the Son. God has always existed for all of eternity as Yahweh in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what sets the God of the Bible apart from every God that every religion worships, including the cults. <laughs> 
Like, Like the God of the Bible is not the same God that the Mormons worship. The God of the Bible is not the same God that the Jehovah Witnesses worship. The God of the Bible is not the same God that Muslims worship or any other group that denies that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. I can't emphasize that enough. And all throughout this series, I've tried to show you you know, how, you know, why and how this is true from just exploring different passages in the Bible. Passages that I think are very much like great Christmas passages, like Isaiah chapter 44, and, and passages like it, like in Jeremiah uh, chapter 23. So what happened at the incarnation, at the birth of Jesus, or, or when the, the angel announced to Mary that you're going to have this child, what happened in that moment when, when God the Son took on flesh, human flesh, never happened before and will never ever happen again. For all of eternity now, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Trinity is fully God and fully man. And, uh, and so I just want that to settle on your heart for a moment. Because to really f- to appreciate the passage that we're going to look at, to appreciate, uh, to fully appreciate what, what, uh, what Christmas means, uh, you, need to, you need to settle your heart on that. So the book of Revelation, and this is not a sermon on the book of Revelation. This is just, I just want us to focus on the character and nature of Christ for, for most of our time together. But I just want to set this up for you. The book of Revelation was, was written to a suffering church, to suffering Christians. The apostle John was a recipient of, of, uh, of all that he wrote down, like these visions that he saw. He too was a suffering Christian. All of his friends uh, had died. Most of them had died. He had suffered much. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. I don't, how many of you have, knew somebody during the COVID days who, was, who were locked up in maybe an assisted living facility and they weren't allowed any visitors? I knew somebody like that. I did. A, I, I officiated her funeral. Her name was Lil. I, she had this, this severely debilitating. Well, Parkinson's is debilitating to begin with, but it just had gotten worse. It's gotten worse, or it had gotten worse to the point where she could barely talk. And she would call me over the phone and and tell me, you know, as she struggled to get words out with Parkinson's, she she would tell me over the phone that my disease is not the worst of it. What's so bad right now, Keith, is that I'm in, this, I'm in this room and nobody's allowed to visit me. And I'm not allowed to see anybody. I'm not allowed to go outside this room to visit anybody. It was a horrible experience for her. John was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was a senior citizen. He was most likely in his 80s or his 90s. He was an old man. He was beat up. He probably struggled to get around. And, and so he received these words. Uh, in, in the book of Revelation. And these words in Revelation were meant to encourage him. Here's, here's one of the things that I was reflecting on about the book of Revelation and everything that we read in this first chapter. The point of Revelation was not so much how the world was going to end, but the point of Revelation was that the suffering of the Christian has a shelf life. There's an expiration date on the suffering for the Christian. And there is a non-perishable that the Christian will always experience, and that is eternal life. That is the inheritance that, that has been promised to us through Jesus Christ. That's a non-perishable. There's no shelf life on that. 
and uh, it, it is for all of eternity ours. And, that, and that's the point that's being made in Revelation. When we think about some of the passages we looked at, like Isaiah 44, verses, uh, verse 6, where it says that this is what Yahweh, uh, Yahweh says, he who is the king of Israel and his redeemer, Yahweh of armies, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. I just want you to see that. Like in, our, in the New American Standard, in the, ES, in the English Standard Version, the, you know, the NIV, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But the, the word in Hebrew is Yahweh. This is what Yahweh says. He who is the king of Israel and his redeemer, Yahweh of armies, I am the first and I am the, I am the last. And this is really important. And there is no God besides me. You know, so we have a, a, a verse like that. And then we have 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, which was a promise to David that he would have a descendant who would sit on his throne forever. And when you, when you consider those two passages, Isaiah 44 and, and uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, coupled with Isaiah chapter 9, which you've probably seen on a Christ, at least one Christmas card that you received this season, right? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace uh, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. This is, this is, this, all of this is to set up this beautiful, this majestic passage in, in Revelation chapter 1. What I want to do is, and this is more meditative, this is not, I don't think this is going to, I don't think anything that I'm going to say is going to be profound. I don't think anything that I'm going to say this morning is going to be something that you've not heard before. But what I want to show you is just how amazing, how awesome how much good news is the, the message of Christmas. I used to, like this is my 19th year preaching or, or, or preaching on Christmas Eve or, or delivering a Christmas Eve message. For 19 years straight, I've done this. And uh, it, it wasn't really until this year that it, I wouldn't say it didn't dawn on me. I just, I don't, I don't think I fully appreciated that without the incarnation, all we have is a dead martyr. If, if Jesus is not fully God and fully man, then there's no hope for humanity. That first Christmas is just as important as Resurrection Sunday. I, I've never really fully appreciated that before. Well, most of my emphasis in terms of uh, if I were to you know, put the, 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 the virgin birth and the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on a scale, uh, the death and resurrection on the, uh, would, would, would tilt a little bit more. I, I, no longer, I no longer believe that. I think it's both. I think there, there, there's a balance there. They, they're both super important. And uh, for, reasons, for reasons that we see here in Revelation chapter 1. So what I want to do is just unpack this in a way that I hope will encourage your heart. Uh, in a way that will, I hope your heart will soar. 
Like the very first thing, right out of the gate that John does here is in verse 4, is he, he, greets, he greets the readers. He greets the churches. Grace and peace, he says, uh, you know, belong to the Christian. You, even though you're suffering, even though some of you have received the death sentence, even though John, I, John, am on the island of Patmos, there is grace and there is peace that belongs to the Christian because of who Jesus is, period. And he does this in a way that highlights that Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like the one who was and is to come is God the Father. The seven spirits is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And the grace and peace that is for the Christian is from Jesus Christ. Here's the other thing I just want to set up for you. I, I wish I thought enough to put a picture up here. But, but the, word, the number seven is really important for reasons I'm going to show you in a second. But the, the number seven in the book of Revelation is really, is really important. It symbolizes, in the Bible actually, it symbolizes fullness. It symbolizes completion. There is a, uh, how many of you are familiar with a menorah? Right? There's Hanukkah that's coming up. They, uh, the, the Hanukkah menorah is, uh, they have nine holders. It's like, it's one, but it's got nine places where you can put a, put a candle. Uh, the menorah that was in the temple had seven of those in the temple. Uh, symbolizing, you know, maybe, maybe they lit a candle for each day of, of creation. Uh, symbolizing fullness. When John has this vision, you know what he sees? He sees a lot of number sevens. The seven spirits. It's not seven different spirits. It's the Holy Spirit who's, who's divine and who's sovereign and who's, who's guiding and protecting and, and, and giving the words for those who are suffering to what they should say before kings, you know, who, 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 char who bring charges against them. At the very beginning, out of the gate, John is saying, our Yahweh is so unique that not even the, not even the human mind can, can fathom the God that, that we worship and that we serve. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then, then he just unpacks who Jesus is for us. He says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He's made us into a kingdom, priest to, to his God and Father. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And there are seven things. There are seven characteristics that he lists of Jesus Christ here. He's very intentional. Like the, this vision that he's given, this revelation that he's given, that he's, called, he's told to write down, which is the book of Revelation. He lists for us seven characteristics of this Jesus and, 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 and what, what it means to, to, to know him. He, he does so in this way. He, in these short verses, the opening verses, he's highlighting what Jesus has accomplished for the Christian. You want to know why you can have peace and, and, and experience the grace of God in the midst of your suffering? Because of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. It's because of who he is. So he lists seven of them for us, and the word, it will be on the screen. Uh, Jesus is a faithful witness. He's a faithful witness in the way that he lived, in the way that he died, in the way that he rose from the grave. His life is our example, and we are to look to him as we run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. He is a faithful witness. 
You want to know how to live your life? Look to Jesus. You want to know how to treat your neighbor? Look to Jesus. You, you want to know, you know, as you endure suffering, look to Jesus. He is a faithful witness. We tend to be faithless. He is faithful. And the, and, and the good news of Christmas Day and the good news of Resurrection Day is that uh, even in our faithlessness, if we have placed our faith and trust in, just, in this Jesus, the only Jesus who is able to save, there is no condemnation for the Christian. Amen? Like this is the message of Christmas. But that's the first thing. The second is Jesus is the firstborn of the dead in that he suffered and died, but he did not stay dead. Jesus conquered death, which means that our death will eventually lead to a resurrection as well. Like for the Christian... Death, I, I say this a lot, death is not, or, or the grave is not death's victory dance. We don't weep like the rest of the world that has no hope. We weep, but we don't weep like the world that has no hope. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is also, thirdly, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, and that he is sovereign over all earthly powers, Period to the point that no king can destroy what Jesus loves and treasures. No king. Not even an emperor. <laughs> this emperor you know, condemned or sentenced John to be on the island of Patmos in exile. We don't know if he died on the island or somehow he was released. Well, we're never told. But what John is being reminded of here and what we're being reminded of here and what the suffering, suffering Christians all over the world are being reminded through the book of Revelation is that there is one King of Kings and one Lord of Lords, and he is Jesus Christ, period. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The, the fourth thing that, that John reminds us of in these opening verses is that Jesus loves us. He loves us. He loves you. <laughs> he loves you. And his love for his church is not fleeting, fragile, or conditional. Let that settle on your heart for a moment. His love is not conditional. It is unconditional. And if you ask, if you were to ask Jesus when, when, whenever the day comes that you breathe your final breath and you stand before Jesus and you were to ask him, well, why did you love me? His answer to you will be because I love you. <laughs> Period. You know this. Most of you know this, right? There's nothing we bring to God's table of righteousness. There's, there's nothing that we bring. Jesus brought it all. This is why the incarnation is so important. He had to be a member of the family. He had to be human. And he also had the ability, he had to have the ability to redeem what was lost for our redemption to be a reality. And that's exactly what we see in the manger. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He was all, everything that we needed without sin. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves. Jesus is that righteousness. And his love is not conditional. Fifth, Jesus released us from our sins by his blood in that he shed his blood on a cross of wood by becoming a curse for us to free us from the curse of sin. And, and one day that freedom from that curse will be permanent. It's, it's, a, it's one of those things that theologians call the already not yet. God is doing a work in me. I... Uh, <laughs> One of the evidences that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is that you are growing increasingly more disgusted with your own sin. Like, 
It's not that you stop sinning altogether. It's just <laughs> that question, why did I do that, becomes more frequent. <laughs> why, why can't I do the things that I want to do, you know, that I know I should be doing? Why do I keep doing the things that I, I know I ought not to do? But, but we're promised that he's doing a work in us, and he is so committed to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, he is so committed to me, that he is not going to leave that work undone. Like, we're going to, some of you are planning on starting, planning on reading the Bible in a year, right? Um, I always have the best intentions at the very beginning. I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the Bible in one year. Um, and then I wind up getting sidetracked, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, sometimes I don't, I don't finish what I intend to start. And have you ever experienced that? We're coming up on January. Some of you might are thinking about maybe I'm going to sign up for the gym, right? <laughs> and that will work for about a month. <laughs> and then, because I've been there, I've done that. Um, but the thing about this Jesus, the Jesus that saves, is that he will complete the work that he, has, that he started in you, that he started in me. He loves us too much to leave us as we are. And uh, six is that he made us into a kingdom, that our citizenship is, is in the realm where Jesus is. Our citizenship belongs with his kingdom. And the good news is that he's coming, and he's going to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to sit on the throne of David forever, and we get to be citizens of that kingdom. We're already citizens of that kingdom. So no matter what happens to America, no matter what happens to whatever nation you care about, there's coming a day where the obedience of the nations will be subjected to the King of kings and Lord of lords, that is Jesus Christ. And we're his citizens. And he loves us. And in seventh, Jesus made us into priests. You know, who were, we were once alienated from God, and now we've been reconciled to him. And not only that... He says, now you get, to put, you get to play on his stage of redemption, on his stage that is the mission to redeem the nations. Like, we get to participate in this thing that he's doing in the world. Like, we were alienated. We were, called, we were enemies. Uh, another description that, uh, that was true of each and every person in this room is that not only were we dead in our sins and trespasses, but we were, we were labeled as children of the devil. And when God sent out of his love his son to live the life that we can never live and die a death that we deserve, and as a result, he, if you've placed your faith and trust in, in this Christ, you've been reconciled to this God, and you've been made, listen, you've been made a child of the God of all creation by adoption. You're a member of the family now. You're, the, you're a child of, a, of the creator of the universe, you, and you are a, a, a citizen of his kingdom. And you've been redeemed by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like, that's how John, that's how he starts, right out of the gate in Revelation. And, and, and so, when the angel appeared to, to the shepherds, and he said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The ancient of days, the one who existed for all eternity in the fellowship of God the Father, God the, uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son was born. 
and he took on flesh. I read, I read a, a, a verse from a, from a poem that will be on the, on the screen here. He makes the rebel a priest and a king. He has brought us and taught us the new, this new song to sing. Unto him who has loved us and washed us from sin, unto him be the glory forever. Amen. Right? That's the message of Christmas. Which leads me to uh, the, the, the second point, and that is that Jesus is the glory of our redemption. So, so seven symbolizes fullness. Nine symbolizes, symbolizes perfection. And guess how many character traits are listed as Jesus, the, the Jesus who, who, who took on flesh and who redeemed us. Guess how many character traits are listed for him? Nine. So you have seven character traits that are listed for what Jesus has accomplished. And then later on in this, only, this very first chapter of Revelation, we're given nine. nine. Nine things that John sees of Jesus that should stagger us, that should, that should, that should cause our hearts to swell up with joy and, and marvel. And the first is this, is that Jesus stands in the middle of the seven lampstands. <laughs> What are, the seven, what, are the, what are the lampstands? They symbolize the seven churches. What are the seven churches? They're, well, they're literal churches. They're named for us in Revelation. But you know what? They also symbolize the church universal, the, the church that Jesus has redeemed, that, are, that, that, that the church that is expressed in various um, communities all throughout the world, not just in Cheyenne. And this Jesus, where does he stand? He stands in the middle of the lampstands. What is that saying about Jesus? that Jesus is in the center of his church. He loves his church. He's committed to her. And it's all about him. We are his bride. He is the groom. He is both Lord of the church and the center of the church because he purchased her with his blood. And then secondly, he is clothed in a robe wearing a golden sash. Well, what does that symbolize? Well, the robe symbolizes his kingship. The sash symbolizes the fact that he is a priest. When John sees this Jesus, he, he not only sees one standing in the, in the center of the churches, but he is a priest. He's an eternal priest, but he's also the king of kings. The clothing he's wearing reminded John that this Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's what the Bible says. For, for Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy it is written, cursed is anyone who, is, who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on that tree. John sees him right out of the gate. In the midst of his suffering, John sees this Jesus, and he is clothed in a robe and wearing a golden sash. You know what that means? Here's what that means. What that means is that, that he is a perfect and sinless priest. What that means is he is your king. What that means is that he is standing always before the Father. What that means is all of your righteousness is always before the Father. No matter how sucky your week was, no matter how less of a Christian you think you are, all of your righteousness, all the righteousness that you could ever need is found in Jesus Christ. And he stands on your behalf. He's called our advocate. He's called our brother. He is called the one who, who, who represents us. He is a priest. We don't need to go to a human priest. We can go to him. He, he is a perfect priest. He's better than all the priests. Thirdly, his head and, and hair are white like wool, which is John, John sees this and, and would have 
I think, blown John away is that, uh, and we know that it kind of blew him away because then he felt like he, he fell down like he was dead, <laughs> we're told in this passage. His head and his hair are white like wool because he is the, listen, he is the ancient of days. This is another one for the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. Daniel in chapter 7 verse 9 said this, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the ancient of days took his seat. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. When John turns and he sees this Jesus, he sees the ancient of days. Think about the significance of that. The one laid in a manger was the ancient of days who stands as the groom and high priest of the church. He is the one whom the angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The fourth thing that John sees in, this, in Jesus is that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Like, Christian, you are the church. Like, and Jesus is passionate for his bride. He, he loves you. I cannot say that enough. He loves you. It's emphatic all through the Bible. He loves you. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He... What this means is that the groom of the church, Jesus Christ, he doesn't grow weary or tired. He doesn't grow weary or tired of what's happening in the world because he wins. <laughs> He's coming back, and, he, and the, the, Psalm chapter 2 says when he comes back, he will dash the nations to pieces like a rod dashes a, a jars of clay. And he's not weary of you. Think about that. <laughs> Do you really think that you're hiding anything from him? Do you think that there's anything that his, his eyes cannot see in the dark closets that you don't want anybody knowing about in your life? And, and we're told that he still loves you nonetheless. And he's not weary of you. And the judgment that he will bring when he does come, that's next Sunday. We'll look at that, Revelation 19. The judgment that he comes, like he will make what is wrong with this world right. The fifth thing that we learn of this Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 is that his feet are like burnished bronze, like burnished and glowing bronze. This symbolizes his strength. Listen, he is the Lord of the church. You want to know why emperors and nations and laws and decrees have not been able to silence the church or destroy the church or eradicate the church? Because if you pay attention to human history, all throughout history, there have been attempts, multiple attempts, hundreds of attempts of silencing the church. And not just that, but within the church, every time false teachers rise up or creep in, like you want to know what keeps the church the church? What keeps the bride the bride is Jesus. He is, he's not only sovereign, but he's powerful. He's Lord over the church. He, he stands, and he stands. That's, what, that's symbolic of these burnished bronze feet. He stands in the middle of the lampstands. There is no one that can move him or dethrone him. 
and he calls you his own. That's the message of the, of the, of the if, if the manger could shout, if the manger was animate and was, was alive, the manger that Jesus was laid in, it would shout these things that he is Lord of the church. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Period. Sixthly, is a, the sixth thing is that Jesus' voice is like the sound of many waters. Like from the cries of the infant child from Mary's womb to the triumphal cry, it is finished from the cross, is the one whose voice to, before John's ears, to John's ears, sounds like the rush of many waters. The only thing I can think of, I, the, 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 biggest, the biggest waterfall I ever experienced was Niagara Falls. Maybe you've experienced others. I know um, Nathan and Riley and Harley, when they went to uh, Uganda, they were able to see some falls. But when I, when I read this verse, I think of Niagara Falls to the 10th power. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Like, why is that significant? Why is that significant? Because not only from the cries of that infant in the manger to the triumphal cry it is finished from the cross, we have a Lord who spoke the galaxies into existence. Like, we have a Lord who stood before Lazarus' grave and he said, Lazarus, come forth. We have a Lord who was on a boat where there was a storm and he was asleep and the disciples were, were like, didn't even think he cared about them. And, and so they, they woke him up and said, don't you care about us? And, and, and you know, we're going to die. Get a bucket. Help bail, bail out some water. And Jesus like, I got one, more, one better. This is the Keith Miller version of, of, of this story. <laughs> he stands before the storm and he rebukes the water and he rebukes the storm and, he, and it becomes quiet and, and still. And then the disciples were like, oh my goodness, that psalm in, in that David wrote, that psalm that we've been singing as fishermen, that it is God who raises the waves and quiets them. Who is this that speaks and he does what only Yahweh is able to do? He's got the voice, the roar of many waters. Seventh, Jesus holds in his right hand the seven stars. Like, whatever the seven stars are, the point is that Jesus holds them in his right hand, which is the hand of strength. I think the point is, I mean, just envision John, right? If you were in John's sandals, <laughs> you're on the island. You're 80 or 90 years old. You're beat up. You could barely walk. Everything in you hurts. And there's nobody around you to talk to. And you have this vision. And we're not told how long he was on Patmos before he had this vision, vision of uh, the book of Revelation. He was told to write all this stuff down. We're, we're not sure how long before he wrote this stuff down. But I think the point is this. The one that was standing before him was before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's what, that's what Colossians chapter 1.17 says of Jesus. That he's before all things, and, all, and in him all things hold together. You know who's sustaining the universe? You know who's, who's sustaining the atoms to keep them together? It is the voice of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
He is all-powerful. I mean, think about that. Like, <laughs> I'm going to talk about this tonight a little bit. Like, in the manger, the one that was laying in the manger was holding the atoms together so that it would hold him. Like, he, the, in the manger was the one who was responsible for Mary being formed in her mother's womb. In the manger was Joseph, who, who, who Jesus was responsible for forming and shaping. I, I mean, think about that for a moment. Like, and this is the one who died on our behalf. This is the one who rose from the grave. He holds in his right hand the seven stars. If you think your life is out of control, or you think whatever it is, whatever news that you've received, or whatever it is that's going on in your life is just, just, just nuts right now, we have one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. You, you think he doesn't know what you're going through? He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. And the eighth thing that we see here is that Jesus, out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Now, obviously, when Jesus, or when John sees Jesus, swords aren't flying out of his mouth. <laughs> like, this is not like Pokemon or, or some other thing. Like, he, isn't that, the point is that out of his mouth is life and death. Out of his mouth, it's the, it's the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we read of the word of God, that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He speaks and it happens. When he speaks, if he wants life for you, it's life. If he speaks and it's judgment, it's judgment. Phil Hughes said this of this, of, this, of this verse. He said, the sword which is the Lord's word has two edges. I think this is so good. He said this, it, it never fails to cut. If it does not cut with the edge of salvation, it cuts with the edge of condemnation. For the word of redemption to all who believe is the same, at the same time the word of destruction to those who refuse to believe. That's the point. The reason why John was, was, was not only on the island of Patmos, the reason why he could be on the island of Patmos and still have faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ is because Jesus is the one, when he speaks, it's, uh, it's salvation to those who believe and it's condemnation for those who do not. And then finally, his faith is like the sun shining in its strength. Here, here's the point. I, you know... <laughs> If you have suffered for any point of time, for any amount of time, it feels like there's no end in sight, doesn't it? Like if you have a disease or, or, or you're just dealing with stuff in your family and it just seems like it's unrelenting and ongoing, it feels like there's no shelf life to it. It feels like this is, this is how your life is going to end. That's what it feels like a lot of times. And the point that Revelation is making, the point that Jesus is making, and the point that, 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 that this vision of Jesus that John has is, is, is making is that it's not only is your, does your self suffering have a shelf life, but he, his face is shining upon you. Like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, is to have the favor of Yahweh. Like the... the all throughout Israel's history, they would recite Numbers chapter 6. And one of the lines in, that, in, in, that, in, in those verses, in Aaron's blessing, is may the Lord's face shine upon you. 
To have his face shine upon you is to have his favor. Okay, if you're a Christian, if you place your faith and trust in this room, and most, just about everybody here has, because I, I know almost all of you, and then um, you, the God who spoke the galaxies into existence, you have his favor. He is for you. He's not against you. He treasures you. He calls you his own. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He promises that your suffering has a shelf life. He smiles upon you. And you know why that was possible? Because the one who was laid in the manger lived a life that we could never live. And he stood before Pilate to be condemned for sin, for, to, to hang on a cross for sins that we were guilty of. Like he was born to die. And as he hung on that cross, you know what Jesus experienced in our place? He experienced the Father turning his face away from him so that we could have the face of God shine upon us. That's the message of Christmas. Like what we read in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 18 is forever and will remain for always the version of Jesus that exists. It's the only Jesus that can save. Going back to Jeremiah 23 and these words, which um, I'll just share with you. Behold, right? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live securely. And this is his name by which he will be called Yahweh our righteousness. Speaking of Jesus, so the worship team can come back up on the, on the platform here. This is not the end, right? <laughs> We're told that verse 17, like if, if the preceding verses weren't enough, verse 17, he says, when I saw him, after I saw his face shining as bright as the sun, I, I fell down at his feet like a dead man. I don't know what that means. Maybe John had a heart attack. I don't know. But Jesus touched him. And he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. You know the one you read about in Isaiah chapter 44? I am he. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Why am I, li I am alive? Because I am the father of the living. You know, I'm the author of life. The, the author of life can't be held down by death. Behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, John, write all this stuff down. Encourage a suffering church. Remind the, the brothers and the sisters of who I am what I accomplished on their behalf. In the manger, if the manger could speak to all who are in attendance, the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, the sheep, donkeys, maybe some cattle. Talk about an unsanitary room <laughs> for a baby. I'm going to talk about that tonight. <laughs> i got some facts for you tonight when you come back. It's, it's gross. Um, like, 
like it was like in the midst of that, if the manger could speak, if the manger could, could, could shout, if the manger could sing, it would sing the words that I read some time ago penned by Tim Keller. If you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. Let that settle on your heart. Because of what, of, of what Jesus accomplished, because of who he is, what he has done, if you were a hundred times, a thousand times, ten trillion times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.